You're listening to Solar Insiders, the fortnightly podcast that shines the light on the world's biggest energy source. Solar Insiders is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy, and Sophie Voroth, the editor of One Step Off the Grid. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. And Nextracker, delivering the most advanced solar tracking technology and the highest performing solar assets in the country. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and the EV Focus The Driven. And joining me as usual is uh, Sophie Vorath, the editor of One Step Off The Grid. Sophie, um, how are things going apart from your microphones? Apart from technology hating me. Um, Look, technology is hating everyone at the moment, I think. I'm I'm having a terrible problem with technology, so um, you don't don't feel like... So what was that now? We blame Optus. Yeah, Optus, absolutely. Yes, it must be. Um, yeah. Anyway, so look, apologies. We, we've had a bit of um, mucking around to do. So if you sort of get sort of different sort of sound levels and sort of voice qualities, it's because we've had to juggle around microphones and one of them decided halfway through a podcast that it wasn't going to work anymore. So um, here we are um, with the laptop microphone. But um We'll keep things relatively brief, Sophie, but you do have a really interesting and uh, timely interview this week uh, ahead of the um, the Federal and State Energy Ministers meeting. Yes, I've spoken to, one of, um, to Heidi Douglas, who is National Director of Solar Citizens, and Solar Citizens is one of those groups that um, works away in the background of the industry and in the foreground as well, um, really trying to push policy points and 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 nut out some of the big problems uh, facing the industry and in particular for solar uh, hence the name but they they sort of cover all sorts and they've been around for a long time but they've been particularly busy lately uh, writing up a bit of a um, to-do list for state and federal governments on um, how to get the most out of our amazing rooftop solar resource. Well, it's particularly uh, relevant at the moment because we're just seeing increasing amounts of uh, rooftop solar in the grid, all across the grid. And um, in New South Wales, for instance, rooftop solar alone is reaching 50%. It's well over 50%, even in states like Victoria and Queensland. Um, the combination of rooftop solar and solar in those states is getting up to about 60 I think we've got to 80% in New South Wales, actually, this week. Um, for one brief period. So we're just sort of seeing these sort of um, remarkable um, sort of changes that are being that are being made and forced onto the grid. And um, as I think we've discussed in this podcast before, um, we are now starting to see policymakers, regulators, market operators, network owners, not seeing rooftop solar so much as a problem, but as a possible asset that they should take advantage of. But there's a lot of discussion about how that should best be done. Yes, and there's a lot to do to to make the most of it. Um, and one of their big wishes is um, for battery storage, home battery storage, to be subsidised um, potentially through the National Estres scheme, so the one that we're already using that for our rooftop solar. Um, because I think, like others, they feel that the focus has gone on to sort of community batteries and and also the very big big batteries, um, which is where the federal government is putting its its millions um 
but really we should be focusing more on behind the meter storage and as a way to really um, maximise the rooftop solar but also make sure consumers can get in on the benefits. And there has been a lot of discussion about how best you do that. And I guess, you know, as, as part of um, an extension of the current sort of um, Ezra's scheme, which supports rooftop solar or part of a broader sort of um, storage mandate, which could be part of the RET anyway, there's lots of different opinions about how that best can be done. But look, I think we should get to this interview and uh, maybe you can just sort of um, roll us in, Sophie. Okay, well, let's, let's hear from Heidi Douglas, the National Director of Solar Citizens. Heidi Douglas, welcome to Solar Insiders. Thanks, Sophie. It's lovely nice to, to have you. lovely to have you on. Thank you. Now, I'll get you to start by just telling us a little, little bit about um, Solar Citizens and uh, its history, and and what its sort of focus is at the moment. So, Solar Citizens began its life thirteen years ago as the one hundred percent renewable community campaign, which was a uh, coordinating grassroots groups around Australia who had invested in solar to be sort of more active in lobbying for their rights as solar owners. From what I understand it, um, I came on board 18 months ago just after the federal election as the national director. And uh, but so that was 13 years ago that started. 10 years ago, they rebranded as Solar Citizens and Primarily, our role has been to advocate for renewable energy and clean transport at a, the state and federal level. So looking at the kinds of policy settings we need to amplify the take up of distributed energy resources. Uh, but also we're looking, we do work in renewable energy zones and renewable energy industrial precincts as well. So you've got a busy time at the moment because we've got the energy ministers uh, meeting again this week on Friday and uh, Solar Citizens is putting together um, a really comprehensive list of things to do, <laughs> things to do that Australia needs to do to get on track um, for our renewables targets, for our climate targets, and also um, just to make sure our amazing uptake of solar is, is runs a bit more like the well-oiled machine it should. Um, so I think we'll sort of divide divide it up because um, you sort of you talk about policy, uh, rooftop solar and, and battery storage are the parts that sort of I think are really interesting here. Um, let's start with rooftop solar. Australia's had a really great uptake of rooftop solar, but we're at this sort of funny point now, aren't we, where we ha things have to really change for us to go to the next level. Um, what is it that you're asking for at a policy level to, to try and help make that happen? Well, we've been campaigning on solar for all, basically. So it's about the removal of barriers for solar for apartments, social housing, strata and renters. So, you know, we have more than 30% take up in Australia of solar, we need to double that in the next seven years in order to meet our renewable energy targets. And to do that, we need to remove barriers to those people who currently can't get access to solar. So uh, that's been a really big focus for us for the last year and it will continue to be a focus for us looking at the right policy mechanisms uh, and pushing state and federal government to enable the uptake of solar for more people across Australia, especially the people who need it most. You know, yeah. we've got a rental crisis, 
um, we've had high energy prices, it's the time to really enable uh, more people to take up solar and not um, in any way exacerbate any energy equity issues. So as well as making solar equitable and uh, available to everyone, um, we have to remember that um, solar is something that people, ordinary Australians have invested in themselves and um, make uh, it transparent how we're going to head you know, forward with regulations. Um, I'm talking in particular about uh, networks setting solar export limits. I'm talking about AEMO um, pushing to have this big solar button so it can switch off um, people's solar if there's too much on the grid. Um, is that one of the focuses for solar citizens as well, uh, going to the energy minister's meeting, just a bit more transparency for consumers? Yeah, I mean, definitely transparency is key, but we're wanting more than that. We're wanting an authority uh, that regulates and coordinates distributed energy resources or a governance change to the existing authorities. Because my understanding is that uh, the national energy market was set up when we didn't have much wind and solar coming in. And so a lot of the governance, the, all the governance is basically set up in favour of big energy rather than household distributed energy resources. So if we're going to reach our renewable energy targets over the next uh, period of time, if, if we're going to uh, increase the uptake of distributed energy resources, which we need to, um, which you know is going to have a lot of benefits for cost of living as well as the climate, then we need to have a smarter energy system that knows how to better regulate and coordinate those distributed energy resources. And my vision really is that when uh, Chris Bowen gets up there at uh, COP31 in 2026, that he can say, Australia has come up with this system. We are world leaders in uh, distributed energy resources, coordination and uptake. And to do that, we need more focus from the energy market bodies, basically. Mm. And so it's a big question, but what might that look like? What might a world-leading um, solar management system look like? Or is it going to be something that um, the energy market operator, AMO, has to take hand on or control of? Or is it, you know, a combination? Are we looking at the DNSPs, um, other regulators? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's going to take, it could be AMO um, or it could be a separate body. So I think that's going to take more, in, um, you know, rigorous investigation, but I think it has to happen. Mm. Um, and I think it's a combination of governance reforms, having more transparency from the distributed network service providers, and also regulation of, of revenue that also benefits distributed energy resources as well, stopping the bias that is built into revenue regulations towards network building. Mm. Um, you talk about pain points and problems that um, need to be overcome as well. Um, one of these is, is, as I mentioned before, export cutoffs and the sun, so-called sun tax. Mm -hmm. um, it's a really complicated issue. A lot of people argue that we need to start charging people to export solar in the middle of the day to send the right signals to households to get the right two-way market flow going. Um, what's solar, solar Citizens' view on this, the, the two-way export charges? 
Well, I mean, I think without the transparency around the data, um, consumers just don't have the trust that the best decisions are being made. Mm. Uh, so I think we need that transparency and that will justify decisions around solar export cutoffs. Yeah. Um, at the moment, as I also mentioned before, AMO is really pushing to have this ability to remotely cut off people's solar uh, exports entirely at sort of, you know, they say the rare occasion that they need to in emergencies when when the uh, supply and demand balance of the grid is, is in danger of being disrupted. Um, but we've also had a lot of people argue this shouldn't be necessary. Um, and that, it, you know, even as a as sort of last resort measure, there's plenty of ways we can avoid using that and, and make solar much smarter. Um, ha- where does solar citizens sit on, on the emergency switch off? Well, I mean, if it's a safety issue and it's an emergency and it can be justified, yes, but I do think we need to look at more sophisticated, more smart, smarter energy system management um, before we get to that point. You know, yeah. and I think like the other thing that we're pushing for um, in particular is rebates for batteries. So uh, modifying the small scale renewable energy scheme to enable the increase of batteries to absorb that solar during the day um, so that we're, you know, we're, we're then getting those benefits of the low cost solar which we can use at night too. And that's a more long-term solution than mm. just heavy-handedly cutting solar off. Yeah. And the, the battery subsidy is a really interesting topic. Um, I'm not sure what kind of feedback you've had from governments on that, but I know here in Victoria where I'm based, um, Solar Victoria has phased out its battery subsidy and, and sort of changed it into a, a zero-interest loan solution. Yeah. So it's still an incentive. Um but it's just decided that the subsidy, you know, I don't think they had a great uptake of it. It's, it definitely worked um, to get that part moving. But um, it was just interesting that they decided to take a different approach. Have you had much feedback from state governments and from the federal government, because that would be a federal change to put it in the SRAS scheme um, on, on this? Um, you know, there's lots of talk of community batteries federally, but we haven't heard a whole lot about batteries behind the meter. Look, we've had some positive indications um, around some support for battery rebates. We also were pushing hard for no interest loans uh, from the federal government, which we saw rolled out as the Household Energy Upgrades Fund, low interest loans at the last budget. But our uh, polling of our, our surveying of our members, our discussions with industry, um, is that really the sweet spot is having both low or no interest owns and a rebate. And that's what we're, we're advocating for, is to, to combine those two to enable the uptake of batteries, uh, you know, very quickly. Because yep. that's something we can do very quickly. I mean, mm. we've seen that be, the SRES um, scheme very uh, successful with solar. We have big issues at the moment with the renewable energy zones, we need to do what we can do and this is something we know we can do um so uh that's why we we still want uh the the smart rollout of renewable energy zones but we want to do what we can right now which is enable uh more people to get solar and enable people who can to also get uh batteries as well and and that 
it has to extend to people on low incomes if possible. Yep. Um, on the renewable energy zones, it's a little bit outside of what you're going to be talking to the ministers about, but um, how, how much, because really there has been some serious damage done um, that we've seen yeah. uh, from the poor engagement and just a bit of a haphazard approach. I think, you know, yeah. everyone's kind of seems to be it's policy on the run a bit yeah. um, and this sort of assumption that everyone understands that this is for the greater good and all that. Um, how much damage do you think is being done uh, in this, you know, because I think what concerns me is that it sort of reflects over the whole industry and the whole package and it, and it kind of undermines confidence across the board um is how much damage do you think has been done oh look i think it's sometimes difficult to work out uh what's also the being perpetuated by certain political interest groups to create cultural damage uh you know so i think mm. there is a there is a kind of culture war that's being created and whipped up around renewable energy zones as well that's not necessarily all transparent yeah uh, so what we're doing at solar citizens is we're doing a pilot renewable energy speakers program in queensland so we're going into two communities in queensland and working with local leaders there to work out how do we um, enable them to better advocate for co-benefits in their community which includes making sure that the environmental uh, areas of significance are protected and really empower them in a grassroots way to be local leaders, um, genuine local leaders, rather yeah. than, you know, other uh, people being, um, you know, brought in. You know, we've heard terrible stories with the wind, uh, renewable energy zones of astroturfing, so people being kind of shipped in from other areas to protest um, so, you know, it's, yeah. it's very like it's a very contentious issue, clearly, and there mm. are kind of culture wars brewing um, and we want to play a role where we, uh, yeah, just uh, really empower local authentic community to get the best out of those renewable energy zones. Yeah, and to sort of um, break down some of the myths that are being put out there, you know, really thick and fast at the moment. Well, I mean, the, it's interesting with the renewable energy zones. Like I was just speaking to um, a local from Hewenden. So we're going to be working on the Hewenden to Townsville Copper String 2.0 link. And, you know, these are communities who are used to um, having, uh, like that for Hewenden, it used to be a rail town. They're used to being infrastructure towns. Yeah. And it's about really, well, what, what do they need? Do they need more housing? Well, let's make sure that that housing that goes up for workers is not um, disposable housing, it's permanent housing. Mm. What health infrastructure do they need? Now, I'm also a local government councillor for Bayside in New South Wales, and any developer that brings any project has to also um, provide local community benefits. So we need to make sure that renewable energy zones are doing that during setup, but also ongoingly. You know, local communities, local councils really struggle with, uh, you know, road infrastructure they have a very yeah. low rate base so can that renewable energy zone more permanently feed in to a you know a special rate or tar uh, rate for you know uh, rates um situation so that they can help ongoingly with the uptake of upkeep of those roads so that there's ongoing um co-benefits to that community yeah. and and 
if you could say one area where, where you think people are going wrong, um, going in there, I mean, obviously <laughs> it's a tough environment, as you were saying, and um, a lot of people go in with the best intentions, but it, where do you think people are in particular going wrong, developers, uh, with that communication piece, you know, at the very, very start? It's a very good question. I'm not sure I can answer that one, Sophie. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's also about government as well. Um, yeah. And not feeling like they're just imposing on a local area. Mm. Uh, working more with local councils, I think, um, to bring the community on board and have information sessions. Uh, I mean, I don't live in a renewable energy zone community. So for us, it's also going to be about listening to the yeah. community about what their needs are. Um, in terms of, you know, but I think the other thing that like we're working on a lot in solar citizens is, okay, we do need to massively increase renewables across the board. So what can we do in the urban communities, in cities uh, with distributed energy resources, but also things like industrial renewable energy zones. So mm. that some of the pressure is taken off the regions. Yeah, that's well. a great point. Yeah, to, to show that everyone's sort of doing doing their bit and in um, another sort of contentious area is this community battery storage. Um, you know, there's a lot of opinions that it's really not the best way to do it and that we should either be, uh, you know, focusing more on residential storage or, or um, you know, smart controls and that kind of thing. Um, is Where does Solar Citizen stand on, on community batteries? We haven't been advocating largely for community batteries because the complications of the charging, because they're not behind the meter. Mm. And we haven't seen modeling that shows that they're necessarily best economic via viable solution. Um, I know there's been studies done at ANU to look at specific uh, tariffs that might um, ameliorate that. Um, keen to see, see some outcomes there because I think we do need a combination of everything, you yep. know. Um, so there will be apartment blocks that are really difficult to retrofit that may need a community battery. Mm -hmm. uh, we're doing a pilot project at the moment on a high-rise electrification to really kind of nut the this out. It was, it's a, a blueprint project to work out, well, what would it take to retrofit a high-rise apartment area includes in, um, in terms of electrification and we'll be able to answer more of these questions through doing that hands-on project with that community. That sounds like a really valuable study. We have had some great uh, innovation in Australia for, um, well, for at least sharing solar with apartments through Illum. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's still, there's still so many more complications out there with the stratas and with the, uh, you know, all of the different regulatory issues and often there's uh, um, you know, a strata supplier involved uh, yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, so I'll put you on the on the spot here. You've got the meeting this Friday. Um, if you could have one thing on your, you know, in your Christmas stocking <laughs> of of from your list um, that they said, yes, we're going to do that, uh, which would it be? Oh, it's hard to choose one. I think I'd have. I, I, they're I, so connected, aren't they? Yeah, I think I think there's two things that really stand out for me. It's uh, some sort of agreement federally around battery rebates, 
um, because that's something that we can roll out very quickly. And what a great Christmas present that would be to say to the Australian public, we have uh, low interest loans coming and you also can get a battery rebate and it brings down the price of batteries to an achievable amount for that payback period and we can all get on board that. Um, and that can be a regional and urban solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so do we need the Energy and Climate uh, Change Ministerial Council to make that announcement? Not probably necessarily because that's a federal thing. So switching back over to that Ministerial Council, I think a, my my number one wish for that would be a commitment from that council to look into governance reforms to better coordinate um, distributed energy resources uptake and really commit to doing that over the next 12 months that we can see by the end of that 12 months that we have a smarter energy system in Australia that can be a world leader in how we really democratise the energy system and yep. make sure that more people are getting those cost of living benefits, uh, which I think will, you know, it will, it was all, that will also send a signal to the regions, to renewable energy zones, look, this is not just something we're imposing on you. Um, this is... You know, I sometimes think of it as a, as a whole uh, war effort, you know, like the like yep. World War Two. you know, uh, World War One. women going to work, you know, we all mucked in. This is what we need to do right now. We all need to muck in. We need to fix the energy prices. We need to uh, create those cost of living benefits for more Australians as we move to renewable energy zones and phase out coal and gas. Yep. It sounds like a very good plan. And from your interaction with people, with the average householder out there, how ready are people to install batteries? You know, do you think there is a huge number that are just waiting for that price point to go down a bit? Well, we survey our list every year and our list uh, the last two years that I've been National Director have consistently said that the majority of them want uh, want batteries and they need a a rebate uh, in order to do that. So we know from solar citizens, we have 186,000 supporters across Australia. Uh, A lot of them are uh, early adopters who already have solar. They're looking at how can they get an electric vehicle? How can they get batteries? But a lot of them are actually on fairly restricted incomes. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so we're not talking about um, people with a lot of money to throw around. These are investments they're making in order to save money in the long term. Yep. And I myself am one of those people. You know, I would love a home battery. I have an electric car, uh, but I have an affordable electric car, but yep. I want more affordable electric cars out there in the mm. market in Australia, which is also why we've been um, pushing for the strong mandatory fuel efficiency standard as well. There's a lot to push for, isn't there? <laughs> there a, lot is. of, a lot of lobbying to do. <laughs> there is. There is, but it is... Um, really you know the opportunities are right here on our doorstep i mean the other thing that we're looking at closely is an australian response to the inflation reduction act and making sure that we don't make the assumption that australia is going to become a renewable energy superpower you know that um that crown has already been stolen by the us with the inflation reduction act so if we're going to be competitive we need to come up with the government needs to come up with a policy at the federal government uh, to a policy suite really to enable uh, you know more investors to actually be attracted to Australia to the, uh, you know promote uh, to drive the uptake of solar manufacturing battery manufacturing even yeah. electric vehicle manufacturing you know mm. we've been working with SunDrive who've got their pilot uh, factory here in Cornell for s- s- copper based 
solar PV manufacturing in Australia, mm-hmm. but they're waiting for the federal government for those uh, tax incentives that will enable them to set the factory up here rather than in America. So, you know, we big supporters of Australian-made uh, solar, especially if we're going to be rolling out more solar, which we are across, you know, social housing, strata, renters, apartments. Yep. That's, you know, a trajectory we have to do in order to uh, to get that, get, get more people uh, having a household solar. Then let's do that with Australian-made solar. You know, the, the SunDrive, they want to set up a solar manufacturing plant at the Liddell Power Plant site in the Hunter Valley, which will create mm. hundreds, if not thousands of jobs up there. I'm a Hunter Valley girl. I want to see the Hunter, you know, build on its um, great legacy of power generation and, uh, you know, energy generation, but in a clean way, in a way mm. that is, you know, has a social license moving forward. Absolutely. And there's lots of ways, I think, to get people engaged in this and to really, you know, sell it as a something that is going to be a great nation building experience and i think starting with with what we're already with our strengths which is already rooftop solar and then if we add battery storage even better so i think it's a great first focus for you guys thank you yeah well there's a lot to do we've rolled up our sleeves and um yeah we've got 18 months in the next 18 months ahead we've got um Queensland elections, which are really important, um, mm-hmm. going to be a contentious election between uh, the LMP and ALP, with the ALP having been in there for a, quite a long time. So we're really pushing for good policy uptake, you know, nonpartisan. We're nonpartisan. We want all sides of politics yep. to support Australia, the opportunities for Australia consumers with their cost of living, manufacturing, with the uptake of renewable energy and clean transport. Well, you're doing fantastic work. Keep it up and uh, keep telling us how we can help. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing something positive coming out of this meeting this week. Yeah, fingers and toes crossed. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much, Heidi. Thanks, Sophie. And that was uh, Heidi Douglas, the National Director from Solar Citizens, talking to um, Sophie. Um, So, look, the the ministers are meeting this Friday. Are they going to be on board with this, do you think? I think they're going to have a lot of a lot of reading from a lot of lobby groups. <laughs> there's, there's a lot. There's, I mean, I'm, this is the understatement of the century. There's a lot to be done. Um, so you know, I think it's coming thick and fast. And I think you know, yeah. I, I, but I do think that rooftop solar is one of those things that more and more we're hearing from more and more parts of the industry that this is a, a, we need to play to our advantages. This is one of our huge advantages. We've, we've, we've got so much rooftop solar, you know, we, we're showing off and leading the world and we keep setting all these amazing records. So let's get cracking on how to, you know, really get the most out of it and let's also not stuff it up, you know. No, let's not stuff it up. Um, yeah. Look, we've, we've actually had a, a bunch of really interesting articles, um, some op-ed and opinion pieces published on Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid, um, focusing on the way we should seek to orchestrate solar. Um, there's a lot of criticism about the um, need to um, to switch off solar. Um, mm. I'm kind of a bit ambivalent about this because I kind of think that, you know, when... Um, if you have to, then you might as well do it rather than sort of everything sort of cascading. But um, there's some pretty strong arguments about
that there's a lot of things that you can do before that should um, even be entertained as a thought. So that's really interesting stuff. And there's and there's been some interesting discussions too about community batteries. I mean, I always thought of community batteries as a really really good thing um, because the way I understood them. Um, was that you could sort of put them in an area, they would strengthen the local network, they would actually give local opportunities for people to kind of store their own solar or other people to be able to sort of draw on that solar um, for sort of reduced rates. But there's a lot of criticism about who's getting to operate those and own and operate those batteries and whether the people are actually getting the full value for those um, community batteries. They sound really nice as an idea, but um, maybe it's not the most efficient way of doing things. So that's an interesting discussion as well. Yeah, I think people sort of see it as a bit of another free kick to the DNSPs and the, um, you know, the the other, you know, well, mostly the DNSPs, the distribution network companies, um, because obviously they have all the data and they know where to put them and they and they can sort of easily do it which is one argument for them doing it but um it it, it really um then it makes it very difficult to say well how do we really make that a benefit for everyone and for consumers and for people who can't have solar um i think that's where people get a bit suspicious yes and i guess it's also sort of comes down to the um the amount of profits that the various network companies are making and i think there's a new report out this week which sort of talks about you know yes. the excess billions um over 10 billions and i just well, look it's the story of the australian economy really it's an economy which is dominated by sort of oligop oligopolies um a relatively small market a few major players and they seem to be able to extract the price and the profits that um they deem they deserve um, yeah it's really quite bizarre just you know reading all about it i can't I love, you know, it doesn't actually make much sense. <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> you just sort yeah. of go, okay, what? What? Yes, what? What? Yes. One of those and things you set it up ages ago and now we're just kind of rolling with it. Yeah, well, I mean, look, it just comes down to our electricity bills and we still look look at our electricity rates with amazement. You know, I mean, I think um, the default rate where I am up here um, in the Northern Rivers of New South Wales is like 45 cents a kilowatt hour. And that goes over and above like a network connection charge of, I think it's about $1.70 a day, which is just extraordinary. And you're just thinking, hang on. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there's something you know, and I think the default rate is five cents for your solar export. So um, there's got to be an incentive for doing something there. Um, yeah, it does. A bit of yes, anyway. we need to see this two-way flow of electricity everyone talks about. Well, that's right, and those um, tariffs sort of designed to um, to love the consumer, as we are constantly told the utilities um, want to be known for, rather than um, screwing them over. But um, yes, we shall see how that evolves. We shall. But we, luckily, we have these people like uh, um, Heidi and Gabrielle Kuiper working <laughs> hard in the background, trying to well put in the case for. Um, making it more consumer focused and uh, absolutely absolutely and look and there's a whole bunch of other people that we could yeah. possibly mention um so um yes i mean a lot of those sort of independent think tanks um and advisory services um associated also with the various sort of um, lobby groups and um they're all doing a fantastic job and they're all just absolutely run off their feet um mm. doing um the best thing for the industry and for the consumers so um yeah i really appreciate their work so if you i think we're going to wrap that up for today how about that 
Yep, I think that sounds about good before uh, my laptop explodes or something. <laughs> or the microphone just disintegrates or something like that, yes. Look, um, to all the listeners out there, thanks very much for um, putting up with this. Um, but look, um, really great content, so um, apologies for any sort of um, sound issues. Um, thanks to you, Sophie. Thanks to Heidi for making herself available. Thanks to all the people out there listening to this podcast. Thanks to those also listening to the Energy Insiders podcast and also the new series um, switched on uh, really interesting interview over the last couple of weeks um, one from Ireland about community energy there uh, and also another one this week about battery recycling and so we'll be back in another fortnight for another episode of the Solar Insiders podcast bye for now Solar Insiders was brought to you by Pylon Pylon provides easy-to-use solar design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly costs and no lock-in contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by Nextracker, delivering some of the highest-performing solar assets in the country. Like a sunflower follows the sun, Nextracker's market-leading solar solutions deliver optimal return on investment for utility solar farms in Australia. Check out their flagship NX Horizon Smart Solar Tracker, their intelligent optimization software, and the industry's most advanced terrain-following solar tracking technology, NX Horizon XTR.